Good morning. Welcome back to the second hour of Love Babs Love Talk. I'm delighted I got two brothers in the space today. We're going to talk about their beautiful book that they put out. I have uh, Reginald Dwayne Betts, poet, and Titus Kafar, artist, painter. Good morning, y'all. What's up? Why are you saying my name like you don't know my name? How many times have you said my name? Titus. Titus. What? What? Titus. Titus. What's up, Babs? Yo, what's happening? What's going on? It's a pleasure. It's Titus Kafar. How are y'all? <laughs> Good to hear you. Good to see you. It's nice to see y'all. So this book, which is beautiful. Thank you to Kyle for sending it to me. Um, this came out of your 2019 exhibit that y'all did for MoMA PS1 uh, called of the same name. And uh, and so the book is uh, just, I guess, an extension of that exhibit. So how did y'all come to collaborate on the exhibit and then talk about the process to get it to become a book? Well, I'll say, uh, this is Titus. I'll say that um, uh, this book, we see it as an exhibition in itself. Um, I'll let Dwayne talk about that in a little bit, but uh, how we started this whole thing, I got a, I got a residency in Maine and uh, got up to Maine and was like, man, Ain't no black people in Maine. I knew you were scared. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I called Dwayne and, and he brought up his family. And um, so you just took, brought you some black people up? Yeah, yeah, we transported them, immigrated to Maine. And uh, we set up uh, the university art department as our studio. And we just started experimenting. We had uh, this young kid, Isaac who uh was supporting us at the time i was trying to make paintings but i just wasn't vibing on the space it didn't feel like my space and isaac said uh why don't you come and try to make some prints and so i went in there and started making some etchings and then they had a letterpress old school letterpress machine and Dwayne just started making poetry and just like placing which, words which you know which is wild because to actually one of the like letterpress like the people who do letterpress it is always inventive because when you're trying to lay the type even if you were laying a tight for this, where, you know how we were like making up ways to like block it in? Yep. They always make up ways to block it in. I mean, they have tools as well, but if you go to a, a, a legit printmaker and you look at them laying tight, you'll find that they become really adept at using um, whatever is around. And so it was interesting because it was a way to um, collaborate on art, but collaborate on it in a way in which our sort of discovery ended up mapping onto to the natural processes, even with the, the mistakes inherent to printmaking being a part of what makes each each print its own individual thing. And it turned the text into like art in itself. Yeah. Like rather than just a way of reproducing words, like the text, when it placed on the page with this impression that's made from, yeah. from the letter itself, it becomes art, which was kind of special and fun for us. Yeah, yeah. So, so I know what redaction means in the prison world, <laughs> and I know what redaction means in the military world. Um, so this seems like it 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 speaks to more of of what happens to folks when they get letters from loved ones or they get uh, documents from places um, that uh, that is blocked out or whatever. So talk a little bit about that and 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 why that's important. I want to make sure, so I'll talk about that and I want to make sure we, we say why this is like an exhibit in itself. A lot of times you, you think about a book and you think about the book as, as a book, as a physical book, 
But this book, we think about it as a as an art object, and and it's a lot of thoughtfulness that went into like every layer of the design. And when we say it's the third exhibit of redaction, what we say is that typically um, our people don't always get a chance to go into a museum. You have an exhibit that's up for a month, for two months, and unless you have serious resources, if you lived in California, you didn't see our exhibit in MoMA. When you hold this, we want you to know that you're not just holding a book, you're holding something that had the same thoughtfulness that went into this entire process. Three, four different kinds of paper, um, really astute design, give you extra layers so that you can see intimately how we built the, the individual prints. And then you also have a, a, this sort of cohesive narrative that runs through it. And that narrative is what does it mean to be a black man in America that's engaging with history, that's engaging with the law, but that's really deeply invested in family. And a lot of people think this is a, a criminal justice book. It's like, nah, nah, this is a book about what it means to be alive in the world today. And in mm -hmm. terms of redaction, um, part of the struggle with trying to work with with Titus specifically is like, you know, any visual artist, if if you're a writer working with them, you gotta struggle with whether or not your writing just becomes a substrate for their art. Uh, but Titus in particular, because he he his work is so evo evocative of like history, it's these layers within the work that even I I I don't think we ever really thought about working together until that moment came. And what sealed the deal, though, um, was less the, the was what we figured out on the last day, actually. We spent the whole week there, and we had got hip to the laying of the, of the poems down with, with, with letterpress. But then I read that poem at the dinner. I read the redaction mm. piece. And you was like, yo. And then we started looking forgot, at it. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> and thinking, like, you know, because the redacted, the redacted poems had this visual element that allowed a conversation to be had between the etchings and the redaction pieces, um, because I think we both use redaction in the same way, yeah. um, more to reveal than to conceal. Mm. For, for me, um, in these poems, redacting lawsuits was about turning the sort of legal complaint into something that spoke to the desires of other folks who were, who were saying, you cannot lock me up because I can't pay bail. You cannot lock me up because I owe $1,500 worth of traffic tickets. And a lot of times that story gets buried into the sort of minutia of, of the particular legal principle that is controlling a court ruling. I think the other thing for me in terms of redaction is it is a tool that is generally specific for text, but what it actually is in my mind as a painter, it's a brush mark. And so the way we dealt with it was as a visual brush mark. That's the physical representation of it. So having that brush mark coming from Dwayne, dealing with the text, and then putting the images on top of each other um, turned it so there was this cohesiveness between each thing we did. Like he said, it wasn't like, because it is difficult to do an artwork where the, the painting doesn't become the focus or the text doesn't become the focus. We wanted to do one where it was like it was balanced. And the redaction as a technique, I think, really helped us pull that off. And and this book uh, physically is very interesting. Um, it's a hard book, but not a hard book. It's it's movable and sturdy at the same time. Um, it doesn't photograph well, but when you pick it up, it's quite beautiful. And it's in the way that you see. Oh it. wait, wait, wait! It photographs well. <laughs> <laughs> Let me it tell you something. Well. It, well, it what kind of camera are you using? It's it photograph on your Samsung, Samsung well, but like 
Oh, my oh. iPhone, it looks amazing. <laughs> I've had so many Excellent people clarity. say, people were like, this book is a little hard to photograph, and I'm looking for pictures, and y'all sent pictures, and all this other kind of stuff. But it, any picture that you take of it does not capture uh, the same beauty when you actually physically pick this book up. Like, it is stunning in its own way, right? When you pick it up, it's like a ball gown. I mean, it's it's got shimmer. It's got texture. It's it's quite beautiful looking. I mean, that's that's what we're saying. Like, this is not just a book. You know, if you <clears throat> if you've seen one of my paintings in real life, then you're going to know that the reproduction you see on screen almost has nothing to do with the object that you yeah. stand in front of. It's a different thing. Uh, the 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 reproductions are a way of communicating the the bigger what this is about that kind of a thing but in terms of the experience the emotional psychological spiritual experience of being in front of a piece of art that can't happen until you have it in your hands so every aspect of it we thought about you said you said for example it's not a hardcover well we knew that if we put a hardcover book we couldn't put this book um, in prisons and as you know Dwayne is doing major work on, on that front. Uh, we knew that we wanted these pages, the individual pages in the book to be able to be removed, to be cut out precisely and hung up as art. We didn't print things on the backside of that section of art so that you can actually remove those pages. And if you see me or Dwayne on the street, we will sign those pages for you. We you know, we're sure. not tearing up a $100 book. You know, we're not doing that. <laughs> oh, but, but this is the thing. No, no, but this, this is the thing, though. And I'm a, I'm a Babs, look, this is, I tell people this all the time. You need to get two books. And the reason why you get two books all is right. because Babs is laughing. You got to give a perspective, though, because think about it. If if, if you, you say I'm not tearing up a $100 book, but you say this, you go into a, you go into a, you go into the Yale Art Gallery and you stand in front of Titus's work, and this is a whole experience, and you know that you can't take that home with you. Now, first, we made this so it is actually a whole experience. It is the art. Now, you deconstruct this. You take one page out. You take 10 pages out, and you frame them, and you give it to your family. And all of a sudden, they got a, a piece of this living on their walls. So when people come to their houses, you hear a conversation. And they say, where did this come from? And then you pull out the book. So you shouldn't think about it as like a $100 book. You should think about it as an opportunity to gift 30 40 prints, frame prints to friends who never will probably even contemplate, unless your folks got money, money, contemplate owning art like this when you walk into the moment and see it. Mm. This really is, you know, Titus, you talked about it a lot, even before we did the project. Like, what does it mean to produce art? What does it mean when your success further distances you from the community? Mm. So when people say that this is a $100 book, I remind them that a bottle of whiskey costs $100. Oh, I'm not complaining about no, I, no, but I tell him, no, but, but I, I know tell what him, you mean. Yes. Get it. I tell him, yeah, it's a hundred dollar book. Yes, but a bottle of whiskey is a hundred dollars. And the same way that you share that bottle of whiskey with people you love, and the value of that bottle like exponentially multiplies by getting two copies of the book, you keep one in a cut, and that's like your 18-year <laughs> McCallum. And then you get the second copy and you deconstruct it, and that's like when you bring your friends over and you take out the Johnny Walker. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I right, prefer right. bourbon myself, but you know. <laughs> I'm with you. I, I'll, I'll drink a bourbon. I mean, I'll drink whiskey. So there you go. What, what Dwayne is trying to say? I mean, we talked about <laughs> we talked this about this a lot. And Babs, you've been in Next Haven. You know, you know what we're about over there. The kind of work we're trying to do in New 
in New Haven. I got to a certain point in my career where the more successful I got, the less I felt like I had access to my folks, to my people. And the, when I did an exhibition, you know, in MoMA, the Metropolitan, wherever I'm doing a thing, I'm seeing less of us there. I'm seeing less folks who look like the people in the paintings that I actually make. And so we started talking from the beginning, all right, how do we bring access to the community that we live in? How do we bring access to the people that we care about? We're, we are not telling this, this story from a kind of distant place. These are stories about folks we know. These are stories about family members, cousins, uncles, brothers, sisters, nephews, nieces. This is, as he said, family. This is people, sometimes they look at this book, as you said, and it really becomes, um, this is a book about the criminal justice system. And of course that stuff is in there, but sometimes that expression is so big. That idea is so big. We forget the individuals who are daily, regularly impacted by the result of that system. So we're saying, let's look at those individuals. So if you, if, and I think he should do it. If Dwayne reads you a poem from any page in this book, you realize the individuality that's represented from this story. I think he should read a poem from this from this book. Um, so talk to me about, are, are you going to read a poem, Dwayne? Yeah, read? yeah. I just randomly flipped to a page and I stop and read it. Um, okay. 38, and, and one of the ways you should know in, in terms of the black pages, and nobody ever prints on black paper. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the things that we did was a rarity. And we created our own two different colors for this. So the silver is a color that's specially created for this book. And then the bluish, Hence, tint that the lettering is in and the etchings are in is also something specially created for this book. And again, it's only an image on one side of the page. But the, these poems were constructed so that each page is its own poem, so that even though it operates within a sequence, if you take it out and print it and frame it and give it to somebody else, it has its own beginning, middle, ending. It's like a, a version of a kind of um, haiku, even though it's, it's not a haiku. 38-year-old father lives with his children went to police after he learned he had warrants, traffic tickets, arrested, placed in jail, kept overnight. He owed the city $1,600. The judge ordered him jailed, told released if he served 23 days, told he could work off his debt did not want to clean blood and feces. Desperate agreed to clean blood and feces from the jail floors. Lost his job while he sat in jail. Thank you. So as a as a poet and 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 Titus as an artist, and you all come together. Uh, what do you what do you think this this relationship this conjures up for folks who are um, who 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 are from our community who maybe not have had this experience of seeing two black men come together to create art? What what do you think that imagery is like? And 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 do you feel like it's being received well? I mean, it's really about our friendship. I mean, we 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 connected in a way because we're fathers and our kids connect you know our kids are playing chess together going to the same school playing basketball together like 
for us, all of this is about the relationship. And the reality is people don't often see that. Like when images of us as black men are in the world, us as fathers is not often the thing that we see. Us as artists is not often the thing that we see. Us not in conflict, but in collaboration with one another is not often the thing that we see. So I don't think it's rare. <laughs> I don't think it's odd. I think that people choose to tell a story about what a black man's reality is. And those people are not often black men. Those people are not often black folks in general. Um, so our projects, our, in, our collaborative project and our individual projects are really about storytelling, telling the stories of us, from us, by us. Um, and I think that this, this has been really reflective of that. In terms of acceptance, I'll let you answer that. And I mean, and also, so the interesting thing is in terms of acceptance, I, I do think one of the questions is this, where we get to tell the story. Because people, I mean, we both happen to be um, engaging um, we both happen to be, I think, thoughtful. Um, Titus is charming. I, I do my thing sometimes, you know. Um, so, like personally, how people accept us has always been great. But, but I, I do think what under undergirds that question of yours, right, is what does it mean to be able to be in conversation with you on this platform? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be on Good Morning America with Michael Strahan, right? What does it mean to be um, in these spaces where where these other institutions that have access and reach? to more people within the community are listening to us. Uh, I, I think that we have been um, accepted with open arms from all of the different diverse communities across the country, partly because our work has led to that anyway. But I think that there's levels to it that we haven't been able to get at. And one of the reasons is that we aren't always the places where I think we should be the most. Hmm. So we're not on the radio stations that I grew up listening to. I mean, the whole trajectory of my life might have been different if if I knew about the, the black artist who was making work in 1996, yeah. in 1995, they existed, but I was listening to certain radio stations that were dominant in my community. And those folks weren't being brought on for a 15 minute spot. You know, the other part of this that we never really talk about is the fact that we both came from community college and ended up getting doing our graduate work at Yale. And it's not that we put Yale on this kind of pedestal, but it's that I remember having one of my classmates tell me, because I was saying we should do work at the local at Gateway, the local community college. And I had a classmate say, well, why should we do that? Why should we go there? I mean, it's not like somebody from community college is going to end up here. <laughs> and I was like, well, you, well, you know, I went, to, <laughs> I went to community college, prison too, by the way. <laughs> and, so, and so I think that, that, you know, the overwhelming acceptance partly comes from, from the fact that people desire to hear a story that they recognize, mm -hmm. not a story that they haven't seen before, um, mm. But a story that they recognize and haven't seen uh, enough of. Mm. Mm. I'm, what I'm struck by is um, I want you to tell me, how did you choose what you chose for this particular book? I, I know the legal aspect of the language, but but how did you how did you design this book and how did you work on figuring out, oh, I think this ought to be in it or maybe this shouldn't be in it or. Or, you know what, I kind of like this, or maybe I don't like that. How did y'all do that? Artistically, you should break down the separations yeah. just because I think I think we were invested in um in making it an art object, which necessitated yeah. doing something that we hadn't done in MoMA yeah. and something that would be unique and artistically unique to this. So 
I think the 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 redaction part that's in the book is the stuff that folks know very well. That is the collaboration between us with the images on top and then the poems on top. But if you go through the rest of the book, there mm -hmm. are other images and other poems. And so we sat down and looked at our work. Yeah. I would give Dwayne images and I would be like, this is a piece I want to put in the book. Like, I want you to either write something for this piece or if you have something that speaks to this piece, um, let's put it together. So you have you have images of my paintings on one side and then poems of Dwayne's on the other side. And in that section, those poems are not are not redacted. Um, so we were we are, are deeply involved in every single aspect of the production of this book. Um, we selected the images. We have great, 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 great designers. And they just understood from the beginning that we were just going to be deeply involved more than most people are involved with the production of a book. But we also we also put our own money up to make sure this book could be produced. So we put a lot of capital of our own cash outside of Norton into this book to be able to get it at the price point that it is. This should actually be a significantly more expensive book. Mm -hmm. And when we realized it was topping out at that point and the publishers were like, well, maybe if you don't do this and maybe if you don't do that and maybe if you don't do that. And we started to feel like, wait, 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 wait. You're messing with the art now. We can't do that. We said, all right, we'll put our own money up front so that we can make sure this book can come out and it is still it's still accessible. So yes, everything from the way the page, the impression on the, on the cover, the fact that things are not printed on both on both sides, the fact that there are no numbers on the bottom of the pages. So when you when you cut them out, you can put them up on the wall as as we've talked about before. Um, the fact that we have multiple sections in here where the artwork is printed at a very high quality, and then the poems are beside it. It's a it's a it's a complete experience. It's not just it's not just a book. Um, and I don't say that to diminish books. I'm sitting here with the writer. I'm saying this is a different, this is a different thing. I'd actually really like Dwayne to read one poem from from that other from the other section if we do have have time. Oh, you have time. Go ahead. All right. And and um Maybe let me the, see. Um the Michael what was it on? The oh, Michael the Michael K. K. Williams joint. Yeah. I love that one. Yeah, I read this one. And what's interesting about about I think even about this poem is that um this was the last poem in the book. We were finished. I forgot I wrote this poem, and you know Michael K. Williams had passed, and I had wrote mm -hmm. um, I had wrote a um a piece about him for the New York Times, uh, magazine, and and I had struggled with writing the piece partly because it was just this tension about, you know, should I name in a piece the fact that he overdosed? And I was like, I'm not writing that he overdosed. I was like, this is a question about how do we think about the lives of black men when we're writing about the lives of black men, not about the deaths of black men. And so I I, I pushed back against um some of my editors. And they ended up letting me rock with it. Then we would finish this. We were like, finish, finish. And I found this poem in my phone. Um, I had wrote it on my birthday. And, and I wrote it the night of my birthday is November 5th. So I wrote it before he passed because um, I had just discovered that viral video of him dancing. And I hadn't known that he was a dancer. And it made me think about the layers. Like we all have layers, right? And a lot of times our layers don't get revealed. And a lot of times people think that some of our layers are in conflict. So this poem was written on the night of my um, 42nd birthday or something. And, um, and it's, a, it's, it's riffing off of that video. And it ended up being the last um, poem to be included in the book. This brother is dancing in the city. His bald head, the only son some of us will see on this winter day. 
his body draped in the colors of heaven, and each limb living in every burrow at once. How I've wanted to be free. When I tell my son about this brother and how a scar from his forehead to his lip was not nearly the most interesting thing about him, I think of his feet and wonder how to be that kind of honest, inventing within a moment everything that matters. I want to be somebody's child again and young enough to stand before a mirror until my body memorizes moves I believe may save me. Maybe nothing saves us, save being witness to someone else moving so free. Thank you. I, I, I think you just made a wonderful point, uh, Dwayne, about- That's what I black, do. Black men living. <laughs> I, I, that was such a profound point about, because I know they probably the Times wanted you to write about his death probably in some fashion, but you did it. And that's pretty profound because I don't think black men ever get that kind of license or agency to sort of talk about how no. how we live unless it's under duress and and you know trauma. I think I mean I that's why I, I love that poem. That's like one of my one of my favorite poems of Dwayne's. And we've worked together on a lot, but that that poem is just incredibly, incredibly powerful. But I think going back to what he was saying about really being on the show, um, this is an opportunity for those conversations to be opened up for folks to see and hear the kinds of things that you don't see and hear. The reality is, like Dwayne said, when we were growing up, there were Black artists, male and female artists, that were out there doing good work, doing amazing things. But in the circles that we ran in, they weren't being brought to our attention. So yeah. even as we started working on, on this book, we um we remember the sweet fly paper of life which is a collaboration between langston hughes and um uh ray ray uh de carva uh, yeah. roy de carva um a poet uh and a photographer uh came together to do something incredibly beautiful and so we once we we got in a little bit we was like oh let's let's look at that book in other words like a generation multiple generations before two brothers already did this right they already had this conversation they already brought it together and we're doing it specifically for our generation this moment this time so we stand in a legacy we stand um in the shoes of people who obviously came before us we're doing something that is unique um, but it's built on the past so does this open the door for further collaboration is there is there a redaction too or something I, I looked at the painting i was looking at the stuff and then i was like man we should have put that in there and but it, it wasn't it wasn't done yet though um i also think though i mean redaction too also but i also think i'm interested in the way in which we write and we talk about each other's work yeah. and i'm i'm interested in in like i mean we we got a documentary too so i'm interested in that but but i'm also interested in how we support each other and like Titus with Next Haven, me with Freedom Reads. I actually think you, the, the Langston Hughes example is good because these artists from, from like the Harlem Renaissance and, and the Black Arts Movement, they had like long legacies and histories and they were constantly working together and collaborating. Yeah. I, I think whatever we do, the biggest thing is to remember is that it is something that's sort of tragic that, that I didn't know who Sonia Sanchez was until I went to prison. 
Mm. I, I mean, it's something that's mm. sort of profoundly tragic um, about that. And so I think that whatever work we do, the work is in service of, of trying to make sure that uh, that the people who should know our names and see our work, that they're able to, to know our names and see our work. Mm. So when y'all together, are y'all always talking art and creativity? <laughs> no, it, we, we is it always we, this? <laughs> I mean, we're usually talking about our kids, to be honest. To be honest. Like, do you know what this boy just do? Can you believe what this boy <laughs> just did? I cannot believe it. Yeah. Or these kids have no idea how good they have it. Like th those are usually like, our conversations. And we've both been married, you know, for a long time. I think it's also like this commitment to family, yeah. you know, that comes up. I think um we talk about what it means to, to be partners um, with women who, who are brilliant, who are who are thoughtful, who are like carving their own path in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, we talk about what it means to make serious decisions um, with institutions about, you know, that'd be great, but I can't make it. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, what does it mean to say, like, what does it mean to say no to the world because you have to be present for your family? Say no to the world because you have to say yes to your family. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's, um, so I think we talk about powerful. all of those things. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty damn powerful. So, so when you look out at the at the artistic landscape, uh, are you pleased? Are you feeling like uh, there's some promise, there's some hope for for artists and particularly artists of color? I mean, I'm very pleased because when I look out, I see Next Haven. So, I mean, I see uh, Cornelia and Kiara and Ashante, and Edgar, and Captain, and Donald, and Anandita, and Athena. So like, I'm very pleased. Like our folks are there and they are killing it right now. And we have open studios coming up uh, yes. in New Haven. So if you wanna come check us out, you should definitely come to, uh, come to Next Haven uh, to see what we're doing on open studios. And you will be pleased at what you see too. Check out our website for dates and times. I love it. And so, so the way you got free to read. That's nxthvn.com. Thank you. And I think for me, you know, it's a lot of, I mean, I live in a company of a lot of brilliant writers from, you know, Randall Horton, you know, a lot of folks, Cornelius Edie, Jericho Brown, Afar Weaver, Willie Perdomo, Avan Jordan, Tahimba Jess. Literally, you know, for Freedom Reads, we got a list of writers and I know like seven, um, I know like literally like seven people who won Pulitzer Prizes that are black folks. Mm. You know, Mitchell Jackson just recently won a Pulitzer Prize for a piece he wrote about Amar um, Aubrey for, for Runners Magazine. You know, what does it mean to be in a mm. space where, where not only are you like publishing in Runners Magazine a, as a black dude, but, but you're winning a Pulitzer Prize for writing about Amar Aubrey and run his magazine. I mean, and so um, so I, I think that in, in the United States, again, that we're in a very vibrant moment with the arts. We've had these moments before, though, so I don't want to act like even us, um, we're, we're inventing the will. Mm. But what I do want to say is that that the thing that we're doing now that I think that we've always tried to do is make sure that it's more of us who have traction um, in the public space. Make sure that it's more of us who are part of the public conversation. The reason why I think that this is dope and I think that that Good Morning America moment is dope because you don't see poets on good morning america <laughs> this is just you don't see artists on good morning america and you don't see people like us talking about a collaboration for a hundred dollar book on good morning america you know it's just like it's not the thing that usually happens and i should say babs as, as somebody who's like a 
like an icon within this community. Yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, I don't think you would have had this show. Mm. You know, so I think oh. that like you've done some amazing things to create opportunities for yourself and other folks. Because I don't even know if the producers, had you not been there, would have been like, we need to have Titus on. But I'm certain that <laughs> you being there and you make them understand who we are, they like, oh, we definitely should have them on. Why, why haven't we had them on already? And you're like, yeah, why haven't you? <laughs> No offense to the producers, man. They're about to shut us off right now. It's, it's about to stop right now. Flatline. Uh, I know they listening. They listening, but it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Listen, I have enjoyed this conversation. I'm looking forward to the uh, to, to the chat that we are trying to have with y'all at a possible futures bookstore, so that people can get a more up close and personal sort of conversation with y'all. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. But I I love this book. I find it. Uh, it is a beautiful marriage of uh, art and poetry, art and intellect, art and uh, grit, and art and the realness of our communities. And and, and it feels like a real tribute to Black men. Um, so I love it. Thank you so much for your time. Thank, Thank you, you. All right. I'll see y'all. I'll see y'all soon. See you I, Duane, Take you have to come back on and talk about uh, Freedom Reads because I'm yeah, so yeah. excited about that. So. Yeah, we got to do it. We got to bring, hey, we, we, we remodeling this space now. So we got to bring you out to the space. We're going to have a huge community event. I'm trying to get some of these Next Haven artists to come in and, 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 and decorate our walls. You know what I mean? So, right. so we're going to keep the co collaboration going. There you go. I love that. That's wonderful. Thank you all so much for your time. And I'll all right, see you all out here in these art streets soon. All right, cool. <laughs> Take care. Take good care. All right, Harry Droz, producer. Thank you so much. I'll be <laughs> thank you, Harry, and thank you, Paul. I'll see you all next week. Y'all right. take good care. Enjoy your weekend. You gonna close it up? Hi, this is Babs Rawls Ivy from New Haven, Connecticut, and you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM. Street